following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. leading, and he'll let me play the banjo with them. I mean, that's just, not very many people do that, endure that torture. So thank you. Um, We're looking this morning in Hebrews chapter 11 again, looking at the meaning and how to walk in faith. So let's read, we'll be looking this morning in uh, primarily verses 17 through 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Okay, we'll stop there. Um, And it's always important, you know, it's very tempting to look at, at these great characters and examples of faith and not really see them in the context of the message of the whole book of Hebrews. So I know I kind of keep doing this every week, but I just think it's important to really understand how these examples of faith relate back to what the author has been teaching us about really the direction and purpose of our life. Uh, And so um, he has given us through the book of Hebrews and especially climaxing in verse 10, in chapter 10, a vision of living life in God's presence. That's kind of the main focus and point of Hebrews, that we uh, don't have to wait till we die and go to heaven to be with God, that there's a very real sense in which we can live here and now in his presence. We can be with him, and he is with us. Uh, and he summarizes this well in Hebrews uh, 10, 19, and 20. Uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And those are holy places in heaven, not made by earthly hands, he told us before. Uh, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, That's the the vision of what he wants us as believers to live. And I hope, you know, as we've talked about this a lot, that this is becoming something that you want in your life. A life where God is really part of everything that we do. He's like right in the middle uh, of of our life. And we are doing it in communion and fellowship and relationship with him. Uh, But even in these verses, he highlights the important and vital role of faith. That for this to happen, uh, it requires faith. Now, God, on his part, has done, has done the work of making the way to him by opening the, the door through the curtain that has separated us from God 
through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So God's done his part on his side to make it possible for us to be in relationship with him in a very close and face-to-face way. But for our part, we, we enter into that relationship. We go through that door by faith. And so faith is huge in our lives. And that's why he takes the next chapter to highlight what faith is. And he starts off with this awesome definition of faith that we looked at. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the very convincing proof of things not seen. And of course, as we talked about this over and over, we we realized that this is a rather abstract definition. It's kind of out there. It's a little obscure in ways. Uh, We've defined it as faith is seeing the unseen. Uh, It's seeing the invisible God through the eyes of faith. It is seeing the unseen realm of his kingdom, that that the physical material world is not all there is, that there is an unseen spiritual world that's actually more real and more permanent than the physical world we experience so much. So faith is knowing these things, and it's, it's the spiritual sense, the eyes of the soul, that enable us to experience this invisible God and his invisible kingdom. So just like this morning you experienced coffee, you experienced your, your scrambled eggs or your soggy cereal, or I don't know what you had for breakfast, you experience those things. Well, in the same way, through faith, we are to experience God in some way that's real, right? Not, not physical, but in a way that's real, that his presence with us is not just a distant thing or an idea, but it's a reality that we live in and experience. Um, so that's what faith is to be. Now, because faith is so kind of vague and obscure and a little hard to nail down, um, it might feel like it's not, you know, it's impossible to measure faith. Like, how do we know how we're doing? How strong is your faith? And, you know, it's the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Da, da, da. It's like, I, I think I have it, right? I think, that, I think I do that, but I'm not quite sure. How do we measure it? Right? Like we can go to the, like if we're not sure about our physical eyes, we can go to an eye doctor and they can, which I do often because I have terrible eyes, and they keep getting worse. And so I go to the eye doctor and they check my vision. And they can test and, they, and the doctor can tell me, yep, you're blind as a bat, and now I'm blind far away and I'm blind close up. So it's just really, it's getting old thing. It's just not what it cracked up to be, right? Um, so, but I can check that. I can measure how effective my vision is. Uh, I can measure my physical health. I could go run a time trial to see how fast I am, or as the case would be, just as my eyes are getting worse, I'm getting slower as I get older. And I can, I can quantify that. I can measure it in very tangible terms. Uh, I can, um, I can go to a doctor and take my pulse and my blood pressure, and I can, they can tell me something about the way my heart is operating, its strength and its health. Um, but how do we measure faith? How can we check our spiritual vision? How can we tell how strong our faith muscles are? Or how do we measure our spiritual pulse? Well, the good news is that God is actually quite good at this. Uh, God loves to put our faith to the test. Amen? Don't we love this? Right? Don't we love God? God you want to know how much your faith is? Oh, I have a test. I have a, I have a way to check your spiritual muscles and see if you are lifting by faith what you should be. If your heart is operating with the health that it should, that you are seeing with clarity the things that your spiritual eyes should be seeing. And he does that by putting actually not our faith to the test, but he actually puts us to the test. 
And that's what we see here with Abraham. Right? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, right, he offered up Isaac. Being put to the test is part of the walk of faith, and it helps us measure how we're doing. God loves to do this to check us up so that we can see if our faith is falling, if it's lagging, if it's weak, so that we can, uh, by faith, uh, see it bolstered and increased. So uh, let's look at what this looks like to have our faith put to the test. And if we find it weak, what we can do to strengthen it. Um, God does put us to the test. The first, first point is that uh, the, the, the real test of faith is our whether or not we are able to put everything in our life into God's hands. Okay, that's really the question. And that's what happens with Abraham when he's tested. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offer, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Uh, the test of faith always comes down to this one basic question. What are you really trusting in? Today, right now, what are you really trusting in? Of course, we would all like to say, well, I'm trusting in God. And the, the, the thing is, uh, it's really easy to deceive ourselves. Uh, and uh, what we do is we tell ourselves that if I say I'm trusting God, therefore I must be. Right? But here's the thing. You can say you're a zebra. Does it make you a zebra? No, right? I can say anything. I can tell myself anything's true about myself. That does not make it so. Right? So, um, so we have to do more than just say, well, I must be trusting God because I'm telling myself I'm trusting God. Um, the real test is this. Are you able to hand over everything in your life into God's hands and into his care. Right? Can you really entrust everything to him? And that's really what this test for Abraham is about. God says to Abraham, Abraham, do you really trust me? Abraham says, yes, I trust you. I believe in you. I have faith in you. God says, okay, then I want you to kill. I want you to sacrifice your only son. Um, what would your answer be to that, right? And this seems like a severe and extreme test, and thankfully God does not typically ask us to do this. In fact, probably never. Um, and it's, a, it, it's, a, it's important to understand the context of what this is about. Um, this is not so much about if, that Abraham may have loved his son more than God. And certainly, we'll talk in a minute, uh, if we love anything more than God, that needs to be sacrificed. It needs to be put on the altar. But I don't think that's the issue here, because... Um, no father can really love their son too much. I mean, we can love them in the wrong way, but uh, it's a father's duty, right? And it's, it's his responsibility to love their children. So I don't think the issue here is that God was checking if God really loved God, uh, that I, Abraham, Abraham really loved God more than his son. The real question here is, do you trust me enough to sacrifice your only son, the son of the promise Right, and, and the truth is, when we, when we kind of look back at the passage, we find that actually uh, Abraham had, at this time, two sons. So what does he mean by sacrifice Isaac, your only son? Well, we know that in the true sense, as the 
as the heir of the promise of the one through whom the blessing and promise of God would pass on to that Abraham only had one son, and that was Isaac. Ishmael was, was not uh, the son of Abraham and Sarah. It was the son of Abraham and, and their servant. And God said, I will not pass on the promise to Ishmael. The, the promise will go to, through Isaac. And so he says, I want you to uh, take the son of promise, uh, the one, he says, through whom all your descendants will be named. Okay, so what he's saying is this. Isaac is the guy. And I promised you that I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. Right? And, and I'm going to do this through Isaac. So in other words, Isaac is going to have children. And through his children, you're going to have so many descendants, you can't count them all. Do you trust me with this, Abraham? Abraham's like, yeah, I trust you with this. Okay, I want you to kill Isaac, the, the son of promise. Wow. Isaac was still a boy. He was not married yet. He had no children. Um, he's not only killing his son, but he's actually putting his knife in the very heart of the promise. Right? And God's saying, do you trust me that I can take care of this, Right? Can you put Isaac and the whole promise of your future and all that I've told you back into my hand and see what I can do? Um, And of course, Abraham does. He obeys. He takes Isaac and he binds him and he lays him on the altar and he takes the knife and uh, it says that Isaac offered him. And the the first time it says that, it has the, the idea that it was a full and complete sacrifice that his heart was so committed to it, he was so going to do it, like there was no reservation as he was about to plunge that knife into his own son, that it counted as laying him totally before God and giving him up completely to God. Of course, God steps in and intervenes and God does not let him kill his son. Um, he stops him. Uh, but it's a, it's a picture of his willingness to lay the very promise of God back in God's hands. That's faith. Um, How could he do that, right? How could he have such faith? Well, uh, it was because he was so confident that God, what God would and could do to keep his promise. He says in verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham could trust God putting it in God's hand, knowing that even in death, even the very life life of his son sacrificed, would not prevent God from fulfilling his promise. Somehow God would work it out. And in his mind, uh, the solution was, I may kill him, but God will bring him back to life. This is not going to be an obstacle for God. He's a God who can give life. He gave life to one, you know, we looked last week, a a guy who was basically dead himself, and Sarah, who was 90 years old, if God can give life, certainly he can resurrect life. Uh, so it was not a problem for him to surrender uh, Isaac into God's hands, knowing that God could work it out. So for us, there's kind of two parts to this uh, picture of faith being tested in what we are willing to sacrifice or surrender. And the first thing is that we must be willing to surrender to God every idol. Faith cannot exist where we are holding on to other false gods or false hopes or false loves or 
desires and wishes that are tied to our own self and to this world and not to God. Sin is really the exact opposite of faith in God, right? Because when I sin, I am trusting in, in the idols and the pleasures of this world and my own dreams and my own goals to make me happy. It is believing that this idol or this habit or this thing I want uh, can do for me something that God cannot. And that's what sin comes down to. Sin is telling God, God, I don't think you love me enough. I don't think you understand me. I don't think you really know what's going to make me happy. So I'm going to reject you. And I'm not going to trust you to take care of me. I'm going to go find my own way to make myself happy. And that's what's that's at the heart of all sin, is idolatry. It is seeking another God to fulfill you, to make you happy, to give you what you think you need, that you're convinced God cannot do for you. And of course, faith is the opposite. Faith is saying, no, I reject those things. And so the first test of faith is, are we willing to really surrender all of our false loves and idols, all of our own dreams that come from self, and say, no, I don't believe those things can do it for me. I believe that ultimately God alone can take care of me and give me what I need to be happy and fulfilled and to be all that he created me to be. So, so part of faith requires sacrificing all these loves on the altar and uh, trusting uh, God to alone to meet our needs and care for us. And it means refusing to trust them to bring you joy or peace or salvation um, or to meet your needs. Now, of course, there's a sense in which they, they can. right? And that's why we keep turning back to them. But it is temporary and it is missing the long-term big picture that we'll see in a minute. Um, but, but the interesting thing here is that, like I said, I don't think Isaac was an idol. I don't think Isaac was worshiping his son. I don't think God required this of him because he was saying, you know, your son's become an idol to you and you need to sacrifice. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think Abraham was a good father. I think he loved his son with a love that pictures God the Father's love for us. And it's a good thing. Um, but the issue here, as I said, is that could God trust, could Abraham trust God to keep his promise even if his only son was dead. Right? Um, so, so for us, faith requires not only sacrificing our idols, but I believe that the truest test of faith is also sacrificing and giving to God his own very promises. Right? Putting back in God's hands the things that he has promised to do for us and in us. To sacrifice those things as well. Uh, his will and his purpose and his good plans in our life. Here's the question. Are we really fully trusting God to work out his promise? Or do we take God's promise and decide, well, this is what God wants to do in my life and I'm going to make sure I make this happen. Do we ever do that? Do you ever do that? Certainly not. Um, and this is faith. Faith is trusting God to accomplish what he has promised in his time and in his way, not striving to make it happen my, in my own way. My faith is trusting what God will do, not what I can do to make his promises work out according to my plan. 
Here's some ways we might do this, and I'm, you know, this is always dangerous. So this may not apply to you, but if it does, I'll let the Holy Spirit just speak to you. Okay, these are just some thoughts how I deal with this in my own life, um, where I'm not sacrificing God's promise, God's will, and God's plan, and letting Him work it out. Uh, I think oftentimes. Uh, people are called to go to the mission field or go into full-time ministry. And one of the things that we know we have to do when that happens is we have to raise support often, right? And uh, I think for a lot of people, this is how it works. They, they feel God's calling. They feel God's leading in their life. And they get fired up and say, I'm going to make this happen, right? And they read books on how to raise funds and raise support. And, uh, and honestly, a lot, of these, a lot of these methods and systems, quite honestly, are... You've got to do this because God can't, right? You've got to contact people. You've got to write these. You've got to do all this stuff. And I'm not saying, and I'm going to tell you if it's good or right or to do that or not do that. But at the heart of it, are you saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make God's will happen my way. And I don't have the patience to wait for God to work it out. Right? I think a lot of times that's where we get stuck. We are doing God's will and we're going to make it happen. <laughs> Whether God wants it or not. Right? In my way and my time. Or are we, are we following God? Are we hearing His calling, leading Him, and then sacrificing that calling up to Him and saying, I'm going to lay this on the altar. I'm going to lay my life on the altar. And God, I'm willing to do what you call me to. I'm willing to lay it down before you. But you're the one that's got to work it out. Right? I'm going to sacrifice it. And if it doesn't go the way I want... If you don't do what I think you have to do, I'm going to be okay with that because I'm going to trust in your goodness and in your plan that you will work it out in your time. I know some of you and some of, some of us are dealing with visa issues as the, the Thai government's changing, changing the rules again on how you can be here legally and all of a sudden there's chaos and I keep getting these phone calls and emails from people who are like in panic mode. Um, and, and, you know, we've got to be careful. Like, God called you here and you feel like you're supposed to be here. Um, and the Thai government says, well, maybe they don't agree, <laughs> right? And maybe they're not going to let you stay here. They're not going to give you that visa stamp, right? So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to panic and go crazy? Are you going to go, no, I have to live here. You don't understand. God called me here. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to solve this problem myself. I'm going to march into the governor's office. I'm going to grab him by the throat and I'm going to make him give me a visa. Good luck with that one. And that's what I hear people talking about doing, right? Can you lay that on the altar? You're being here right here and now and, and all of that. Can you lay it on the altar and say, I trust God to work it out, right? If he wants me here, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave it to him. I'm going to lay that on the altar. You see, we, like Abraham, need to learn to put all in God's hands for him to work out. All of his promises, all of his plans, all of his working, all the ways we think he's leading us. Right? It is not uh, up to us to work it out. What it is up to us to do is to walk in faith, trusting him step by step. So as he leads, we are to obey, we are to follow, we are to do things. But it should always be a response of faith and obedience to what we know God's prompting us. And at the same time, holding very loosely that, that we sacrifice our life to him. That he has the right to do with it what he will. And, and we don't have to do anything. Right? 
When we, when we lay it before him as a sacrifice, trusting him to work it out. Faith is not kicking down doors to make God's plan happen in my life. Right? Faith is waiting for God to open the doors in his way and in his time. Uh, we can do this in our ministry where we feel like it's our job to convince others about what they need to do to get on board with my program. Right? I see leaders can do this and teams can do this. We can get so excited about our vision that we're going to run people over with it. Right? Convinced that I'm going to make this happen. You're going to get on board with this. You're going to follow it or you're out of here. Right? Is that really laying it before God? Instead, maybe we should prayerfully believe that God will move people and change people by His Spirit in His time to be on board with His vision, not mine. Right, so faith is, faith is giving everything up to God, placing all in His hands so that He can work it out in His time and in His purpose. Uh, we trust it into His care, knowing that He might give it back for us to do, and He might keep it. Uh, that's up to him. And we trust him either way. So, so Abraham does this. He has this vision of this. He, he is able to trust God and to lay the whole promise, everything, on the altar and, and sacrifice it to let God work it out. Um, so what is it that he saw with the eyes of faith that made it possible for him to have this kind of trust in God? Um, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, he is seeing the unseen. Uh, even back in, in Abraham's day, typically people didn't rise from the dead, right? Like people died and they pretty much stayed dead. And so kind of like nowadays. Um, so for him to see this vision, like how did he get the vision of this? Like where did this come from? Well, clearly it came as the author showing us through the eyes of faith. But what was at work in his heart and mind that gave him the power to see um, this hope uh, beyond the death of his son. Well, it says, going back to verse 19, it says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Uh, I think one of the things that Abraham saw in his many years of walking with God is he saw the incredible faithfulness of God. And see, faith isn't really about our faith as much as it, about, it is about seeing God's faithfulness. That God is good to keep his word. And, and that um, I think what, what Abraham could see, to put it another way, is Abraham could see the rest of the story. Right? He saw the story going beyond just the death of Isaac. That that would not be the end. One of the problems that kills and shipwrecks our faith is we see the end as the end. Right? We're convinced if I, if I don't get a visa to live in Thailand, that's the end of the story. If something goes wrong with my plans, that's the end of the story. And we don't see that God, with God, there is always more to the story. Right? There is always more. We see later, uh, all these guys died. But even in death, they saw that there was more to the story, and the story would continue on beyond them. Right? And they had hope and faith in that. Um, he didn't understand exactly what or how God ordered, but he knew that there would be more to the story, that if he killed Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead, God would work, God would somehow deal with him, and that, that there would be more to the story. It was not the end. And he saw the hope of the resurrection. It's interesting, the word there, it says, 
figuratively speaking, the word is, that's used there is the word we get the word parable from. It says that, that the death of Isaac was, uh, or, or the coming back of Isaac was, was a parable to us. It was, it was a foreshadowing or a glimpse of something future. Uh, and it was, it was a foreshadowing of this great truth of the resurrection. All of us, uh, unless Jesus comes back, which we're all praying for, but if Jesus doesn't come back before the end of our life, all of us are going to die. And maybe we think that's the end of the story. But that should never be true for a believer because death is never the end of your story. The hope of the gospel is that there is a resurrection. The problem is we, we, we see that resurrection so seldom and so dimly. Right? What does it mean that for you, you are going to rise again? Uh, death cannot take you. It will slow you down for sure. <laughs> but you will rise again and uh, the life that you have with God now will be a million times better then. Because right? then you will see, see clearly Jesus in, in his presence, in his kingdom, and you will be part of it. Um, one commentator puts it this way, in presenting this example of faith in God who raises the dead to his readers, the writer of Hebrews is calling his readers away from apathy and despair and into a fresh experience of faith in the power of God which stands behind his solemn pledge to fulfill his unalterable word of promise to them. It is the faithfulness of God to his promises more than the faith and obedience of Abraham that is the primary thrust of this writer. Um... You know, do we live with the future hope of, of resurrection? Do we really understand what that means for us? Right? That, that there is no relationship you have now here that you will not enjoy forever in eternity for those who are followers of Christ. Willie and Bettina are leaving, sadly, and we may not get to see them often. Uh, it's not the end of the story. Right? We will have fellowship. We're going we're gonna to play way better music in heaven, Right? because I'll be able to actually play the instruments instead of stumbling around. Right? We'll have fun. We will rejoice in Jesus together. Right? There is no separation that is final in Christ. Okay, third thing. Last, last point. Um, because this is all true, and because faith is primarily future-focused, and, and another thing we see throughout this whole chapter is that most of them, faith was not something they realized the full promise in their own lifetime. It was something that was always looking to the future, to the rest of the story, to the end of the story, for which they wouldn't experience. Right? And we see that uh, as, as the characters go on. It says in verse 20, By faith Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and on Esau. I like that. He invoked future blessing. He says like the end of the story is not here yet and you guys are going to get to experience some more of the story and so he invokes the promise uh, the blessing of promise and faith on his children on his sons by faith Jacob when he when dying and I like this, this is when he's dying right he knows the story is about to end for him but he knows it's not the end and so as he's coming to the end of his life it says he blessed uh, each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. 
Here Jacob is actually blessing his grandchildren. He's passing something on to them. Lastly, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus. The exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. He said, don't bury me in Egypt. Right? This is not my home. We belong in, in the promised land. And, and God is going to deliver us from Egypt. He's going to lead us out. And when we go, I'm dying, but I'm not staying here. Okay, you guys got to carry me back to the, the promised land and bury me there. Okay, what does this forward-looking blessing uh, tell us about faith? Um, well, I think it says a lot to us about what it means for us to pass on the blessing to our own children and grandchildren. Um, the blessing of God's promise, the knowledge of who God is and uh, life with him uh, and in his presence. And here by children, this can mean both our literal family, uh, those who are children, grandchildren to us literally, but it also can be a picture of our spiritual children. Maybe you don't have your own children, maybe you're single. Um, it doesn't matter. We are to pass on as God's followers our faith. We are to be imparting the blessing of faith to those who come after us, to our children, our grandchildren, to those we have opportunities to minister to and with. And the blessing is essentially to pass on to them the hope and promise of God's saving work in their life through the glorious gospel of Jesus. Right? Faith is not something we keep to ourselves. Our faith is something we are to live out in a way that we pass it on to others. So how do we do that? Uh, and this, this raises some interesting questions. Does this mean we can guarantee the salvation of our children and grandchildren? Right? Does God promise that he will save all of your children and grandchildren. Let's take a vote. No. Uh, I don't know, right? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I'm not so sure that we can guarantee that absolutely without, without exception, every one of our children or grandchildren will be followers of Jesus just because we are. But I think there is hope here, and there is a promise that, that we do have the privilege and the hope of passing on our faith to future generations. That, that we should expect our children uh, to um, receive faith, to receive Christ and to know him. And that we have a place in that, that this passing on the blessing is something that's in our power to do. Now, of course, it's up to every child. When they stand before God, they make their own decisions, and we can't make them follow God. They do have to decide for themselves. But there is something here in the promise of, of the, that we can bless. We can pass forward our faith. Uh, so how do we do that? How do we bless the next generation? Um, well, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can do, one of the greatest we ways that we can pass on faith to them, bless them with that same hope, uh, is to live out a life of faith that is real in our own life and in our own family. Right? To model faith in a way that they can see it. Um, um, and the first step of that, to do that well, is, is laying our children on the altar. Right? Giving up our kids into God's care. Right? One, of the, one of the worst things, and I've seen this happen, one of the most damaging things that we can do is to refuse to trust God to work out faith in our kids' lives. 
to believe that my kids are going to get saved, my kids are going to know Jesus, and I'm going to make sure it happens. I'm going to beat it into them, right? right? I'm going to make sure they go to church. I'm going to make sure they memorize the whole entire Bible, frontwards and backwards, right? And we can, we can decide that we're going to fix them, that we're going to save them, that we're going to so impose our faith on them that we're going to make sure that they live out the life as a Christian. Uh, at the very least, that they have a respectable lifestyle that doesn't make me look bad. Right? Okay, that is not faith. Right? That is not laying your children on the altar and trusting them into God's hands for Him to work it out. Right? One, of the, one of the most basic things we can do as a parent to model faith is to sacrifice our children figuratively, not really. Sometimes we want to do that too. Okay? But, but I'm talking about you know spiritually... Placing them in God's care and hands and saying, God, it is your task, it is your job, it is your responsibility to call my, my children, my grandchildren to yourself. Right? My place is to live out a faith that they can see, right? that they see in my heart that I am trusting them into God's care. That I am trusting God to speak to them to minister to them, to turn and change their heart. But that's something God must do, not me. And sadly, I've seen this with families who have tried so hard to impose faith on their children, not bless their children. They impose their faith. And it's driven their children away. Because they're not modeling faith. Right? They're not modeling a trust in what God can do. So our part is to model faith. It's to, it's, to, it's to be daily, daily with everything, demonstrating this lifestyle of placing everything in God's hands, of really trusting God to work out the problems and struggles of my life. And knowing that if it doesn't work out the way I think it should, if God doesn't do what I want him to, that even that is, is God's plan. right? Even that is faith, that I'm trusting there is more to the story, and even if I die, it's not the end. Right? There is the resurrection. There is hope of life beyond this life. There is more real than just what we see here and now. Right? There's an invisible world that, around us, an invisible God, and that our children see us engaging with that unseen realm through faith in ways that they see us experiencing life with the Father. Um, I'm not sure how we would actually practice this, but I love the legacy of faith that Joseph left to the nation at the end of his life. Right? He said, Egypt is not the place. And this is from the guy who was ruling the country at the time. Right? At the time of his death, he was essentially ruling over Egypt. He'd invested his whole life in making the pharaoh of Egypt super rich and saving uh, the country and probably most of the civilized world at that time. And he said, this is not it. Right? This is not my home. I see the exile, right? I see the promised land. And um, he passed on this crazy legacy when he said, don't bury me here. Right? I don't know how we do this in our family. Like, uh, like I wouldn't advise telling your kids, take my bones with you. I'm not sure that would actually <laughs> speak the same thing. Right? Doing to, to show them that our hope is in the rest of the story. Our faith is future-focused. And things don't work out in this life quite the way we think. Um, our support drops and cuts in half, and it doesn't seem like 
Maybe we can stay in, in, in the life we are in or in the situation we are in. We don't freak out. Our kids see us entrusting that to God. Uh, when problems come into our life, they don't see us scrambling and fretting to fix everything. They see us prayerfully entrusting those things into God's hands. Uh, when we're diagnosed with sickness, maybe even cancer, and the doctor says, you, you, you may not live, they see in us a calm peace and assurance that that's not the end of the story. That we are confident in the resurrection and in uh, seeing our kids and our grandkids and our family in eternity. Um, so that's the test of faith. Ultimately, the test of faith is laying everything before God. So as we close, just bow your heads for a minute and before God, just prayerfully say, God, what is in my life right now that I am not trusting into your care? Right? What are the things that I am holding on to and I'm unwilling to let you get out? Right? That's the test of faith. God, we pray that you would help us see those things that we are reluctant. We are un, unwilling to believe that I can hand those things off into your care and you will work it out. That you will indeed fulfill your promise and your plan in your time. Lord, help us to have eyes that see that there is so much more to the story that you are not done with your program or your work in our life and that there is so much more you want to do if we will just see it and trust you to work it out, to lay those things in your hands and believe with all of our heart that you will bring about every good and perfect work in our life to your glory and to our joy. Lord, give us the faith to see that and to truly walk uh, trusting you with everything, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.